Welcome to the Small Business Buzz. I'm your host, attorney and entrepreneur Kimberly Handler. Today, I'm talking about some steps you can take to prepare your business for an eventual profitable sale, even if that may be years down the road. And we have business coach and strategist Julie Keyes with Key Strategies, here to share some of her valuable wisdom and insight gleaned from being a business owner herself and from working with other successful entrepreneurs. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Okay, let's get to it. Today, I'm talking about some things that you can do to prepare your business for a profitable sale. Now, some people might think that this applies to them right when you're getting ready to sell your business, but it's not true. Actually, what you need to do to prepare your business for a profitable sale You need to do those things way in advance. And even better yet is to start your business in such a way that you have a profitable sale in mind in the future and you set things up right and you operate your business in the right way so that you can have a marketable, saleable asset at any time that you may want to sell your business. And there's more to this topic than I'm going to cover here today, but at least these items that I'm going to talk about today are the big ones that can really get you going on your way. Okay, the first one. Your business's value is more than just the product or service that you provide. Although certainly that is a large portion of it. If you weren't selling your product or your service, your business wouldn't be worth anything, right? And it's your product or service that actually brings you cash flow. But that isn't the only value that your business has. Your business has value in its customer list for certain. Also in any intellectual property that's been developed that might be in a trademark or a brand like that. It could be in a trade secret business process. Your business might have something that's worth licensing out to other businesses in your industry, but outside of your local competing area. For instance, if you're a dry cleaner in the Twin Cities and you have a just a really fantastic method for running your business and dry cleaning and all that, chances are you aren't dry cleaning clothes from Seattle, but you might be able to take your business system and license it to somebody in Seattle who could run their business similar to how you run yours. Anyway, so that is thinking beyond your product or service. The next is establishing the real value of your business. There's a lot of ways that businesses can be valued. I mean, there's more than one formula. So even if you were to go on the internet and say, okay, so how are businesses valued? Sometimes it's some factor of gross revenues. Sometimes it's some factor of net revenues. Sometimes it's earnings before taxes and depreciation and amortization. Sometimes businesses sell just for the hard assets that are on the books. I mean, there's just a lot of different ways to value a business. And the way for you to maximize your business is to turn to a professional to value it right, to value it correctly for your industry, and a professional will know what all components to put into that valuation that you might not. For instance, they'll know how to value your customer base in a way that you're not going to know how to do that. When you know what your business is really worth, it puts you in a solid position as far as getting commercial loans or seeking outside investors, even if you're not looking to sell your business. So keeping a finger on the pulse as far as your the value of your business is concerned is a really good idea. Okay, the next. Document your business processes. For everything you do in your business, 
there's a certain way you do it. And chances are you do it consistently over and over again. I mean, otherwise you would have a hard time consistently delivering your service or product. And if you couldn't consistently deliver your service or product, you probably won't have a business for long. So usually it's not a problem for people to think about how they do things. What people don't often do is write down those processes or document those processes. It doesn't always have to be in writing. I mean, it can be, it can be a, a video. It could be documented in some sort of pictorial process, like with, with photos or drawings or some combination of all of those. A lot of people run their business without actually documenting how things are done. But when you have that documentation in place, it makes your business more valuable. Not only do the people buying your business get the customer list and the ongoing value of the business coming in, the cash flow and such, but there's real value in them being able to step in and take over and be able to run the business based on that documentation. And moreover, anybody could step in and run the business. So it means that the new owner doesn't necessarily have to be tied to doing the business. There are some business buyers who won't even consider buying a business that doesn't have those documented processes because they buy businesses as investments and they want other people to run them. And they want it to be easy for them to put anybody in that position. So really, the more documentation you can have for how your business runs, the more valuable your business is. And then, in addition to having your processes defined, you need to have your other business documents in order. Things like having employment policies and an up-to-date employee handbook and having written contracts with your employees and your customers and your vendors. You know, one of the things that I I say all the time is business is about relationships. And the best way to protect those relationships is to have written agreements so everybody knows what to expect. When you're selling your business, if you have written agreements that are binding but assignable to your new buyer, then that gives them solid footing that they know that they're going to continue to have the relationship with their vendors and even possibly your employees and things like that. And so having those things nailed down in writing also increases the value of your business. And then of course, having complete financial records. And I can't stress enough having clean financial records. I know that a lot of small business owners run a lot of expenses through their business that that may be business expenses or maybe not. There's a lot of things that you could get away with as far as the IRS is concerned that the person who is looking at your business as something to buy may not be so interested in if there's a lot of personal expenses running through there. And it makes it difficult for them to really gauge the strength of your business. And then next, of course, is having up-to-date corporate records. Related to that is having your business in the right structure. People rarely want to buy a sole proprietorship or a general partnership because there's no personal asset protection in those structures. Also, It may be hard to know really what you're buying with a sole proprietorship because it isn't an entity in and of itself, like a corporation or an LLC. There are business buyers who will only buy a business if it's under an organized structure like a corporation or an LLC. And there are plenty of business buyers who really only want to buy a corporation. So before you're thinking about selling your business, you might think about reorganizing it if you do have an LLC. Although that's not always the case, it does depend on your industry, on your locality. But if you, if you're getting some pushback from buyers, you might think about reorganizing. If you're thinking about selling your business though, and you're a sole proprietorship, for sure, set it up as an LLC or corporation and you'll get a lot more interest in your business. 
the time to start thinking about getting your your business on a solid foundation for selling it or for it to be a valuable asset that you can sell is not on the eve of when you want to sell it. You want to start putting these processes in place and and getting this solid foundation at least three years before you want to sell. If you're giving yourself less than three years, you're in for a tough road. If you'd like to read my blog post about this, the link is on my show notes, or you can find it on my website at khanlonlaw.com. That's K-H-A-N-L-O-N-L-A-W.com. And while you're at it, sign up for my bi-weekly business newsletter. In each newsletter, I have articles that'll help you in running your business, and sometimes I have bonus materials for you too. In my upcoming newsletter, I'll have a video recording of a past seminar that I did with today's special guest, Julie Keys, called How to Plan a Graceful and Profitable Exit from Your Business. So you won't want to miss that. And it's way more detailed than this podcast session. So definitely check that out. Okay, up next is my interview with Julie Keys. Life of an entrepreneur is a never-ending struggle to sharpen that competitive edge that will place your business ahead of the competition. Fortunately, the shape of the average workplace has changed. Finding that fine balance struck between cost efficiency and excellence is now easier than ever. We need help when we need help, but we don't need to be burdened with full-time staff. That's where Astute Business Concierge can help you. Astute Business Concierge. More than just smart, astute. Visit us on the web at astutebusinessconcierge.com to see how we could help you. Okay, well, we're here today with Julie Keys. She is a longtime friend of mine, and she is a wonderful business coach that, well, She's somebody that I super highly recommend on many, many levels. Um, Thank you for being here today, Julie. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I hope to have you be one of the regular voices on the Small Business Buzz. Your experience as a business owner and then as a coach and everything you've just done in life is so valuable. And I can think of at least a dozen things that I want to have you come back and talk about if you're, if you like the experience and you're willing. Awesome. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Let's start just by um, telling people a little bit about your background. Mm -hmm. And I suppose let's visit a little bit about what you do and how you do it for business owners and Mm -hmm. the results that people get. And we'll go from there. Okay. That sounds like a good plan. Well, um, as you had said, I have been a business owner and an entrepreneur for almost all of my adult life. I owned and operated several companies over a period of about 22 years when I was married with my ex-husband, and it was in the mortgage, title, property management, real estate law industry. Um, he still practices law, but I'm not sure if it's real estate or not. Anyway, so that's been my background. We had several locations. Um, several employees, and I wore a lot of hats, and it was um, a high-low experience on a regular basis, not just because the industry is cyclical and seasonal, but just being a business owner in general, and I see that a lot with my clients. Um, I think that that is probably one of the things that makes me an effective coach is because I've lived it. So when they tell me that they feel like their business owns them, that they don't own their business, I get it. So one of the things that I try to do with my clients is to help them to rekindle the passion that they had when they started that business in the first place, and maybe they even need to try and get their life back. And so we work on on that. I think it's so important um, for business owners to sort of keep a little GPS Mm-hmm. about what that passion is, it, to have that connection with it. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, you're right, you can get mired in the day-to-day running of it. Yes. That is not so inspiring. 
Exactly. Right. And, and sometimes I think that it's common for business owners just to feel plain old trapped, you know, just trapped. Like, I have so much to do. I don't have enough time to do it. Uh, they have a hard time delegating sometimes because maybe they haven't hired the right people. Maybe they've got good people, but they're not in the right seats. Um, maybe this particular business owner started this business because they were really good at something. And so they decided to hang their own shingle. And then they discovered that, A, they're not really good at managing people, and B, they don't really have the entrepreneurial vision that it takes to be able to see into the future and make plans and grow their business. They're just really good at something. I find that people can learn that yes. as a skill. I Absolutely. Mean, yeah. So not having the vision, or if it's been my experience, that if you're a person who has a lot, a high level of technical skill and you mm -hmm. decide to go out on your own, you probably don't have the business smarts and you don't have the right sort of base education. I don't mean like going and get an MBA. Because sure. I actually don't necessarily think an MBA is all that useful for entrepreneurs. No. There's a different kind of education that people need to yes. really run a business, but it's so learnable. It is so learnable. And I think that the first step to having it be learnable is just to be aware that it's necessary. Um, I think that when a person has a certain amount of entrepreneurial spirit, some have more than others, but that particular spirit has this I can do attitude. I will make it happen attitude, right? Um, many times I think that business owners are um, so independent that they're maybe a little bit too proud to say, you know what, I could use some help. That's why not all business owners actually work with a business coach. It's a very small percentage that work with a business coach because they're afraid to ask for help or they feel embarrassed to ask for help. Oh but my it's gosh. The, you know what I mean? It, it's our, um, our society is kind of bent on making it be a bad thing when you need help. But really, when you look back at the people in business just over the last five years, you know, in the Twin Cities alone, who have really taken their business by storm, won't you for one, um, realize that you're not an island and it's good to collaborate with other experts that do other things different from yourself, as long as your core values are aligned, right? Oh, the, the greatest, it's been my greatest good fortune to work with business coaches. For one thing, if I didn't, if I didn't have coaching, then I would be throwing things up against the wall to say, let's see what sticks. And that is yeah. an inefficient and ineffective in a really expensive way mm. uh, to run your business. And yes. it also makes for a very long slog. And, you know, even, even with coaching, it can sometimes be a long slog, you it know, is. sometimes. Something that I think about all the people who are high level performers in any field have coaches. Top singers have vocal co coaches. Top athletes have a whole compendium of coaches for every aspect of yes. what they do. Um, Everybody. I mean, so why is it that the average person thinks, oh, well, it, it's some sign of weakness to, to need a coach? I'm like, no, it's a badge of honor. Like, <laughs> I'm doing something big enough that I need a coach for. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I think last count, Tiger Woods has six coaches, um, and he's one of the best golfers in the world. And that's how you get to be one of the best in the world at what you do, is yeah. to have other people who can um, give you feedback, um, mentor you help you stay accountable to your dreams, um, and maybe even believe in you more than you believe in yourself. Yeah. And two, I mean, I think about it this way. If I'm standing up on stage and I'm talking, I can't also be sitting in the audience observing myself and hearing myself and knowing how, how I'm doing. Exactly. And it's the same thing. Yes. Operating a business. Yes, it really is. Um, one of the most valuable things that I think I bring to the table, aside from my own personal experience in owning businesses, is that I just bring a different perspective. I am not attached like the owner is attached. However, I am totally 120% committed to their success and to the goals and the things that they want to accomplish, not just in their business, but in their life. Um, and having them know that and believe it 
and trust that that's what I'm there for, I think gives them enough of a lift, you know, like they feel kind of buoyed mm-hmm. up to be able to move forward. Well, to, sometimes that's all you need. That's all you need, really, right? To have someone walk with you. And I look back on my experiences as a business owner and how I wish I would have had someone that I could have called a coach that could have helped me make some decisions. Because like you said, there were many lessons I learned the hard way. Yeah. And it could have been so preventable. But I didn't know. Yeah. You know that whole realm of what you don't know that you don't know? Oh, gosh. That is where <laughs> we, right? We <laughs> we end up paying dearly. <laughs> oh, my gosh, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so... Yes. Well, they say, well, I want to say two things out of what, you know, related to what you just said. One is they say that um, a sign of a genius is somebody who can learn from the mistakes of others instead of insisting on making the mistakes themselves. Oh, my gosh. And I do try to push the envelope on genius whenever I can. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good line. I like that. (laughs) And then the other, I mean, you, you said how... You, you're helping your clients to elevate their business, but also their life. You know, um, attorneys talk a lot about the work-life balance. And something that I, I've come to realize, and I talk to people a lot about, and I'm actually writing a book about. Um, nice. Yeah. Part of that is that people have it that you have a work life, and then you have a home life. And people think, oh, well, if if your work life is okay and your home life isn't, then then your experience of life is the average of the two. Hmm. And it's not true. No. Well, for one thing, we don't have a home life and we don't have a work life. All we have is a life. And life is one continuous moment to moment to moment to moment. And so th- we do have different aspects to our life, but we only have one ginormous moment of life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And then the idea of, well, I have to balance my home life and my work life. I don't get that. I, I'm like, you know what? You need to have every aspect of your life be the most impactful that it can be in the way you want it to be. And we're responsible for that. And we're responsible for that. Yes. And so if you have what is occurring as a great work life and a bad home life, your experience of life is actually going to sink to the lowest level of satisfaction that you have in life. Yes. So it's so important to take your life, your entire life, by the reins and say, I am building my life by intention. Yes. And then do that. Well, okay, I'll get off my soapbox now. No, I, I <laughs> huge valid point. I agree with you 100%. Um, I don't understand why people would want to even expend the energy to try and live uh, two lives. Because sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I'm different at work than I am at home. And I, I say, why, why bother spending the energy to be two different people? Right. It's hard enough just to be one good one, <laughs> you know, rather than trying to be two different people. Just be one person, have one life. And this whole fallacy about balance, I think we need to throw out the window. I don't think it even exists. I think that if we're being intentional, like you said, to try and be purposeful and live a good life in both our work and our home, that that's as much balance as we can probably create. In a perfect world, we're always balanced, right? We're always spending equal amounts of time personally and then professionally with our kids, whoever it is that we like to spend time with at home and at the office. But it's really not ideal. It's it's really not a uh, realistic um, picture to think that you could do that. I saw a graphic of that one time, and I, I thought it was great. It was a picture with a straight vertical line and uh, a picture of a zigzag going back and forth, which is a good graphic for balance, mm-hmm. okay? Um, instead of having it be three lines where everything's all balanced and perfect, it was a zigzag going back and forth to home, to work, to home, to work. Uh-huh. The graphic that showed where life really is out of balance and we really do need to do something is where the zigzag went way out on one side and just a little bit over on the other side and way out and so on. Um, so I think that that might be something for people to consider and think about when it comes to their business. Because let's face it, when we're self-employed, we work a little harder. 
Yeah, it right? can be the tail longer. that wags the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then if you have a family-owned business, yes. then it's just um, compounded, sometimes exponentially. Yes. Um, I have a couple clients, actually more than a couple clients, who are family-owned uh, businesses with either siblings or parent and child um, relationships. And that just adds a whole nother dynamic to business ownership, which is hard enough in and of itself. You're talking about these people who are wearing not just a shareholder hat, not just a family member hat, but they've also got a job within the business, usually. Yeah. And they don't always see eye to eye. Um, so that can be really difficult. Just ironing out the internal conflict so we can actually get something done um, can take a long time, depending on how long it's been festering. Yep. So. You know Anita Modellinia, don't you? I do. She's wonderful. She is wonderful. She mm-hmm. came on the Small Business Buzz and talked about the dynamics, the relationship dynamics of family-owned businesses and working through conflict instead of around it. And what you just said sort of touches upon mm-hmm. that, too. It's like um, family-owned businesses can be either way more effective mm-hmm. than non-family-owned businesses when everybody is aligned and their vision is, is aligned and they're like a laser focused yes. and and they're all on the same page or they can be radically more dysfunctional <laughs> than yes. the average business. Yes. Yes. And they're so worried about ruining Thanksgiving, you know, yeah. when in fact what they should be worried about is ruining the business because if they ruin the business, they'll probably hate each other forever. And then Thanksgiving is gone forever. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, so it's just a redirection of priorities and, and making a decision on, okay, are we on the same page with how important this business is and how important this family is? Just like you said, with alignment. There are some who are going to be way more focused on, we got to keep the family together. We can't let this hurt the family. And there's others who are going to be, the family is going to be fine. We need to worry about the bottom line. We need to take care of this business. Well, really, they need to, they need to attend to both. To both. Yeah. And decide which one comes first and be on the same page with that. Yeah. You're awesome, by the way. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I feel the same way every about time you, Kimberly. We get a, every time we get together, it's just we have the best conversations, I think. Yes. It's so great that now we're like capturing them. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Hopefully we can help some people. Yeah, I think so. Okay. So as a business coach... What are some of the common obstacles that you see that business owners face? It's a good question. Um, aside from the family-owned business scenario that we just discussed, or several of scenarios, there would have to be one that stands out in my mind that is really common in a lot of areas of life. And that has to do with business owners kind of shooting from the hip. They really don't have a plan. It's not written. If it is in, if it's, if it is in writing, they probably have it folded up and it's in a drawer and they haven't looked at it since they had to go to the bank to get a commercial loan. Um, well, and I think that the kind of plan that you put together to get a commercial loan is a different kind of plan than the kind of plan that you operate from. Totally. The, the plan that the business or that the bank is looking for is more theoretical. You know, they call it a business plan and it's a story. It's a theory. It's a theory. Here's what we think we're going to be able to do here based on our research, based on, you know, what we know about the industry and what we're, we're trying to get done. The strategic plan is where, okay, we're, we're putting together these revenue goals and these, um, things that we really want to accomplish with our business. Maybe it means, uh, doing business in another geographical area. Maybe it means, um, expanding our product and service line. Maybe it means that we need to increase the streams of revenue that we have. Instead of having just one way to make money, we need to have more than that. Okay? Maybe it means we launch a podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just saying. Anyway. For sure. There you go. <laughs> You're the queen of revenue streams. I love that about you. And, um, yeah. And so when, they, when they've decided what it is that they want to accomplish, if they've decided, if they really do want to get these things done, a strategic plan will, um, w- with my help, with a coach's help, um, help them to create the strategies around the goals 
and then the tactics that will make the strategy actually happen and be real. Okay. So say for instance, your strategy is that you need to increase your marketing. A lot of businesses don't have the right kind of marketing. They don't have a marketing plan. They're doing marketing that isn't effective and they're not really measuring if it is. They don't know if there's a return on that investment or not. Mm-hmm. Well, so, and they're, they might be doing brand marketing instead of direct marketing when exactly. most small businesses would be better served doing direct marketing. But go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. I no, it's that. okay. I think that marketing is kind of an ambiguous term anyway. It means a lot of different things to a lot of people. So yeah, we can I think you're have right. a conversation. But um, as far as marketing as a strategy for the business, okay, well, what does that look like? You know, like you just said, direct marketing maybe. What are the tactics around that strategy? Well, what if we increased our social media? Many small businesses don't even engage in social media. And for some small businesses, it makes a lot of sense to engage in different forms of social media and different platforms are really effective, but not all of them. So it would make sense maybe as another tactic to engage the services of a marketing consultant who could actually help put a plan together that could be effective and could drive revenue into the business. You know, unfortunately, a lot of business owners will stop investing in their marketing dollars when revenues are down. It's like one of the first things to get cut. It seems like, you know, I know that they do that and maybe it's counterintuitive, but that's actually when you need to boost your marketing dollars. You need to start cutting absolutely everything but marketing. Right. It, you know, if you want to stay on the map, that is. That's right. I mean, sales and marketing, they're really the only departments, if you will, in a company that drive revenue. Yeah. Every All dollar, the other ones take yeah. money out. Yeah. That's one of the things that I, I think about um, when it comes to what do you spend your money on in a business? Because a business really, it can and it will take every dollar you give it if you let it. So you have finite dollars. Where do you allocate them? Well, I try to spend my dollars on places where the dollars will, will march out and they will return yes. with a couple friends. Right. <laughs> be fruitful and multiply, and right? That, and that tends to be in marketing more than, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Than any other area. Absolutely. So to answer your question about what I see as a major obstacle or problems that business owners have, I would have to say that planning is probably number one. And I think that sometimes they just get so bogged down working in their business that working on it and strategizing and taking that 30,000-foot look is something that they're going to do tomorrow. We're going to get to it tomorrow. But there's never tomorrow. There's never tomorrow. So if you have a plan, implement it. And if you don't like the plan, chuck it and start over. Yep. Because it has to speak to you right? It's got to be your plan, not somebody else's plan. Well, and when people don't know what to do, they don't do anything. Exactly. And until you've actually sat down and and thought about and charted it out, you don't know what, what action steps to take. Yes. Yeah. Just uh, getting into that mindset sometimes can take a couple days. Um, case in point, when I have a planning session with a client. I will try to prepare them ahead of time as much as I can because I really want that planning session to be fruitful. I want them to be able to think outside the box, to be thinking from that 30,000-foot level so that they can really maximize what it is that they want to accomplish and see from the outside looking in what this business looks like today and what I want it to look like a year from now, three years from now, or five years from now. Do you have them leave the business? Like, do you have them go off-site to be able to get out of the the hamster wheel mode? I do if they think that there's going to be interruptions, and in some instances there will be. And so if that's the case, yeah, then we need to go off-site so we don't have those interruptions and we can constantly work and get this, you know, done and get the wheel moving. So One of the things that I do is I tend to do the sort of strategizing and planning and like vision thinking on the weekends. Mm. And it's not always here. I mean, it, or mm-hmm. in the office or whatever. Sure. Um, it's actually often not in the office. But my, my Monday through Friday, I don't have to tell you, can be a little bit hectic from, from one moment to the next. <laughs> oh, I am sure it is. And so I just 
I have made a habit of carving out some time, mm-hmm. and that's when I do it. And I, and I do it often enough that it's not like I have to have this painful planning strategizing session. Like, oh yeah, this is my quarterly, or <laughs> right. you know, it, it's just it's it's it has gotten to be a habit. It's like breathing. I don't know. Things just move forward quickly because of that. They really do. They really do. I'd like to underline that. Um, one of the things that I try to prepare my clients for in a positive way when they first start working with me, and this happens every single time, is that once we get that plan put together, you will be surprised at how quickly you accomplish some of these things. And what we're going to do is we're going to sit down every quarter and we're going to do a review and a revise because a lot of it we're going to check off. Then we're going to yeah. do a high five, and then we're going to go to happy hour. And then we're going to go, what's next? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it, it really does happen. It's just some, there's something about uh, making the commitment verbally, putting it on paper, and then talking about it. Like when I meet with them every week, uh, we don't just talk about the goals and the strategic plan. We talk about everything that's going on. Um, but just having that top of mind all the time does something to the subconscious. Because your subconscious doesn't know good or bad, right or wrong. It just does whatever you tell it to do. And if you're constantly thinking about something, looking at something, reading something, it will come to pass. Well, yes, absolutely. And as I'm doing this this planning and this thinking and all that, instead of just having some goal out there, oh, this is my goal, I'm looking at it and I'm starting to think on how can I make that happen? Well. I'm not always in the space of being able to to think creatively. How can I make that happen? But if I if I have it in front of me often enough, mm-hmm. then when I when I am in that creative space, then bam, it comes to me. Oh, I know how I can make that happen, and then I have something that I can sink my teeth into. But if I don't have it in front of me, it's easy enough to just not ever engage in that that conversation. I agree. Having it in front of you is everything. It really is. Because you're right, we are not always on. You know, our mind isn't always engaged in that creative process or that visionary process. I mean, sometimes we're just stuck in the mud. And that's the way life is. Yeah, sometimes I'm just tired. We're sometimes just tired. I just <laughs> sometimes right. I'm like, you know what? I need to refresh a little bit before yeah. I can like come up with the next exactly. light bulb moment. Or we just gotta go have fun. Yeah. Well, I'm always up for that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so tell me about um, some of the successes that you've helped your clients accomplish. Okay. And I know you can't really disclose. I mean, like me, you, it's all confidential. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple that come to mind that are quite remarkable, actually. I've got a law firm that I work with that um, we've been working together for probably about a year and a half. And they primarily practice family law. Uh, Better them than me. That's all I can say. (laughs) Family, family family-owned business. And they have just grown by leaps and bounds. Since we have done their strategic plan, identified their core values and their purpose, why they get out of bed in the morning, and what they really want to accomplish in their life and in their business, they have just catapulted into the stratosphere. And it's been so fun to watch. Well, and I bet it's been more fun for them, too. Oh, there really is something about absolutely. being connected to yes. really what it is that you have as a contribution to the world. Yes. Yeah. And I have to say that they have adopted a mentality that is like yours, such that they are not attorneys who own a firm. They are business owners who happen to be lawyers. Oh, yeah. And there is a huge difference between the two. Yeah, I would say so. Yes. So they would be one case. They've hired several new people, um, all who align with their core values, mind you, which is a beautiful thing. Love meeting with all of them. Um, And they're opening a couple new offices, too. So another company that I work with, a manufacturing company, this is also a family-owned business. Um, Since we started working together last July... The amount of projects that we have taken off of our list, quote-unquote, has been phenomenal. Um, we, ca- we came from a place where they were not meeting at all because of some inner conflict going on. 
to meeting with me for three hours every week and working that strategic plan because the business actually has been around for about 30 years, but there has been no plan in place for a very long time. And many of their practices and systems and processes were antiquated or non-existent whatsoever. I mean, right down to, to handwriting checks. So we have improved a lot of their systems and processes, things like updating an employee handbook that half their employees never received. Um, oh, yeah, that's good. That's a good one. <laughs> it's a good one. Yes. And you know that for sure as a lawyer. Oh, do I know oh that in gosh, a thousand no. different Some, ways? Sometimes okay. I see what people are doing and it just gives me the heebies because yeah. I'm just like, oh, I don't want to be Colin Kimberly on this. There's a whole series of podcasts that will just, <laughs> that could yeah. come out of that just oh one sentence gosh, that you just yeah. said. Anyway. You got that right. Uh, but I'm just really proud of them. Um, yeah. They've just really taken ownership of uh, what they really want to get done and they have created uh, a purpose that is that is really commendable um, around the fact that they all desire to leave this business to the next generation. So they are about creating a legacy. Yeah. And you can't create a legacy with a business that isn't successful. Right. Well, you can't create a legacy with a business that doesn't have systems. Exactly. So this is what I've noticed about businesses who actually put systems in place. One is that... The systems make the business function more effectively, efficiently. And two, a business that has systems in place is a valuable asset. Mm -hmm. And then three, when systems are in place, actually it improves relationships in the workplace because there's so much more clarity around who's doing what and how and why. Yes. And so people actually can get to the business of doing the thing and not having the conversations and in the negotiating around who's doing it and how and why. Yes. Um, then it's easier, too, at that point to identify where there might be an overlap where, you know, redundancy or wasted time is occurring or where there's a gap. If you've got a system in place, you can at least take a look at it, evaluate it, and decide is this working or is this not working. And it also is really good for communication, too, which many times in small business kind of goes out the door. For whatever reason, small business uh, employees, people that work together in a small group, think that everybody knows what's going on because it's small and people are always talking. And that's not the case. Um, I lived it myself, mm -hmm. and I know how important it is to continue to communicate and have meetings, even if you're st sitting right next to the people that need to know what's going on. Well, I think it happens. The The phenomenon that happens in, in families and, and like... And, and like husband-wife relationships where it's like, oh, well, I don't have to talk her about to her about this because I know what she thinks. Or, mm -hmm. or well, she knows what I think about that. I mean, people have that assumption when they're working so closely or, or living so closely. And yes. it's not true. I no. mean, sometimes people would be shocked about what's going on in somebody else's head that they think they know, but they don't. Yes. I would agree with that 100%. So what is the process that you use when you coach your clients? And you're such a process person that I know you have a process. <laughs> I do. I do. I try to customize it a little bit, though. Sometimes I have to change it up depending oh, on what the needs are for the client. But you're right. I do have a process. Um, generally, my first couple of meetings are just to get to know the business owner and get some history on the business um, find out about them as a person, what they like to do, what's their family like, um, you know, where they come from, all of the things that I need to know so that I can have a good, solid relationship with them. And I will tell them as much about me as they want to know. But it's not about me. It's about them. Um, I don't like to keep them in the dark either. But I mean, if they got questions, I'll answer them. So we get to know each other. And then we talk about maybe some of the things that are getting in their way. Now, what would you identify as your top three or four obstacles right now in your business that seem to be getting in your way, tripping you up? Maybe they're wasting your time or your money or both. And we talk about that. We talk about what would the impact be on your life and your business if we could handle those things. Uh, we also talk about if there are any opportunities that they're not taking advantage of that they could be. Um, for instance, perhaps they have um, 
a retail store, and they're not selling anything online. It's a simple example, but they could be. They just haven't taken the opportunity to make it happen. Um, so that's one example for opportunity. And then we also talk about what they're really good at. What is it that you really love to do? What are you really good at? And what do you like to delegate? And then we talk about their team. And if there are key managers and key decision makers in the company, I will meet with them as well, one-to-one. I like to kind of ask them the same types of questions because once I've done that and I've met with everyone, I can see where the patterns are and where we've got um, some gaps. Um, but also, is there a common thread in a positive way? What is it that really jazzes this business and makes people want to come to work every day? Let's play on that. Let's capitalize on it and let's celebrate it. And then once I've had those conversations, we get together, we do a strategic plan. Usually takes a half day, maybe more. Sometimes it's two sessions. And then from there, we just meet every week. Talk about what's going on. Um, talk about the obstacles. Talk about the things we need to celebrate, changes we need to make, people we need to hire or fire. All the things that happen in running a business from day to day. It's so nice to... Um have somebody to bounce those big decisions off of too. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I have sort of experienced is that sometimes, you know how they say it's lonely at the top? Yes. It's because there's no one to really turn to and say, hey, this is this is what I'm thinking about, but am I on track with that? Yes. Yeah. And you know, I don't always have all the answers, and I will tell my clients that all the time, but you're absolutely right. It is lonely at the top, and sometimes a business owner only has their business coach, and they don't have to be have that feeling of being alone. Uh, being a business owner is a lonely place sometimes, and who do you talk to? You there's some things you just can't talk to your employees about, and if you're married and your spouse isn't involved in your business, they're not really there, so they don't really get it so much. So it is good to have someone that you can talk to, that you can get a perspective from, right? Well, and there's also the difference between seeking wise counsel and seeking cheap advice. Yes. You know, I'd I'd personally rather have wise counsel. Absolutely. So. Agreed. We probably should wrap up now. Okay, perfect. (laughs) Although I could sit here and, and visit with you for a long, long time. Likewise. We can, yeah. you know, table the rest for next time. Yeah. Let's let's just set up a a, a whole bunch of um, of conversations. There's so many things that we could talk about. Oh, I mean, gosh. you and I, we could talk about succession planning. I mean, we have before. We can talk about how to create a solid strategic plan. Um, oh, we could talk about... Hiring and firing. Yes. We could talk about building a company's core values and like how to define them. And I mean, some people are just like lost in the woods with that. Yes. Oh, we talked about family owned businesses. We could actually even talk more about um, resolving internal conflict. Mm hmm. All sorts of, oh, and processes. I mean, you and I are both huge systems people. So Mm -hmm. we could have a ton of conversations about that. We could. So let's. Um, yeah, it would be great if we could get it on the calendar on a regular, like whatever you decide, however often you want me to come in, so I can just put it on my calendar and make it recurring. And then we can also tell our listeners, hey, sure. once a month or once every six yep. weeks or whatever you like. Yeah. So yeah, is Julie Key's awesome day. I would love that. In the meantime, if somebody wants to reach out to you, how can they reach you? Well, there's a couple different ways. Uh, they could email me. My email address is julie at keysstrategies.com. My last name is spelled K-E-Y-E-S, not K-E-Y-S like keys. It's K-E-Y-E-S, and a lot of times people forget that E. And so when I coined the company name Key Strategies, I made it one word with one S in the middle, just to keep it simple. So julie at keysstrategies.com or just keysstrategies.com. Okay. And I'll put um, links on our show notes. Perfect. Too. Awesome. Thank you, Kimberly. Oh my gosh, Julie. Thank you for being here. Oh, you're so I'm welcome. I'm so excited. Me that too. You're going to be on my podcast all the time. We always Yay. have such great conversations. We do. Thank you. Thanks. You're welcome.
us next week for the Small Business Buzz when I talk about the mistakes to avoid when it comes to selling your business. We also visit with business owner Michelle Smith about working with your passion and her experience in starting up her business. You can find links and other useful information on our show notes at thesmallbusinessbuzz.com and be sure to follow us on iTunes or Stitcher. If you're liking what you're hearing, please give us a good rating and maybe even leave a review. Of course, a lawyer would have a disclaimer, and here is mine. Any information provided on the show is for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal advice. The show theme music is Pioneers by Jason Shaw, released under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.